why you use a condom. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins, and we are here on Thursday, October 26th, kicking off No Film School Horror Week. Woo! Woo! I'm here with Jason Hellerman. Woo and boo. But the good boo. The scary Good boo. boo a surprise yeah. boo. And I'm also here with writing and directing team, Steven Cedars and Benji Kleiman, the, the filmmaking team behind the movie Snatchers, also behind a bunch of sketches and in a bunch of sketches. So welcome, Steven and Benji. Thanks you, for having us. Thank you. you Wait, just for our listeners, can we differentiate your voices? So, Stephen, why don't you say hello or say you who? Okay, I'll. Hi, I, can I just say also it's going to be pretty hard because Benji and I spent a lot of time together, and so our vocal patterns are pretty similar. So, this is me. I'm going to pass the mic. Okay, hello. This is Benji's voice. Yeah, we've actually been directing and like talking to actors on a walkie-talkie, and we can hear them back being like, "Who said? That? Which one of those two guys said that?" So. Good luck, listeners. Do you just sort of embrace embrace that on set? Yeah, I guess yeah, so. I, I mean, guess it's, so. yeah, <laughs> it's it's nice to. A lot of times, people ask us, like, as a duo, how do you guys split up the directing duties? And that's and the the real answer is that we we don't really we do both. But it's it's nice that like if the actors are like that's all all the direction in our ear is coming from one person. <laughs> that's fine. From one whiny voice that they can't tell the difference between. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And we are here again, kicking off No Film School Horror Week with a conversation about practical effects. And I wanted to bring you guys on because I think you are probably the most, the biggest champions of and lovers of practical effects. But for our listeners who may be new to the space, who may be new to horror or just dipping a toe in, which is great for you guys because you guys make horror comedy, which is a little more palatable than some horror. Can somebody define what a practical effect is? Yeah. So I was actually thinking about this on the way over. So I think it's the easiest way to differentiate it is from, you know, CG or computer generated effects that you see that the kids love so much these days. But it's I mean, they can do it on their phones. Yeah, oh man, Benji's actually holding up his phone right now for us to to see. But yeah, but it's it's something that is l- like practically on set. So if you're you know making a monster movie, it's like there's like a real practical monster costume or guy in a thing on set versus a shot that you add in later. But I the I was confused because I was like I was confusing myself. I was like. Is like a stop motion thing? Does that count as practical? I guess that, mm. I don't know. I think it does. I think if you're capturing it in the camera, you know, like, so what you film that day is what is some version of what the audience is going to see. I feel like that's like a good delineation versus like, we have footage that without, you know, adding an, an element to, it's not the same footage. Like that's where you get, the, that's at least where you could draw a line, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I guess it like exists in, in, in reality. Yeah, in yeah, some yeah. yeah physical reality, and I think in the the reality of it all is that often the best practical effects do have an element of VFX involved in it, um, and it's that marriage and finding the balance. But uh, you know, some of the the most memorable moments in horror come from practical effects, come from the actual physical thing horrifically unfolding in front of the camera. And that being captured on 
film. Like what comes to mind is a lot of goop and <laughs> like slime and things bursting out from layers of other things. <laughs> and 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 it's sort of an art in itself that I hope never goes away fully. And and so yeah, I, I'd love to hear some of everyone's favorite practical effects. And we could each like maybe go around and say our favorite. It might, it might be hard to choose one, but so you can throw a couple out there. Jason, why don't you start? It's hard. It's funny. I think practical effects, I grew up, you know, I'm a, a child of the late 80s, early 90s. And I kind of feel like I saw the shift, right, from things that were made and, you know, what is it? The exploding body in RoboCop, you know, where he hits it with the car and it explodes and it's this sort of disgusting thing all the way through, you know, let's say like the early Marvel stuff where you felt like, oh, like this CG is cool or it's additive, but it's still mostly done practically. I'm thinking about like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, but I can say like the first time I saw a movie that felt like, oh, practical effects and I was watching something so visceral and gross would be like the original two Evil Dead movies. So we'll just bring it right back to Sam Raimi. I remember, you know, don't arrest me, illegally downloading those movies in seventh grade. So I think the statute of limitations probably over. And watching them and just being so not only horrified by some of the things, but about like Ash stabbing someone with a pencil, right? Like the woman crawling across the ground and just even the sort of visceralness of the Book of the Dead, you know, the Necronomicon opening and, and those sorts of things. Like I was a kid who... In horror movies at that point in my life, I'd probably only seen like the Brendan Fraser mummy, which not, you know, more of an adventure movie than anything. And honestly, a lot of CG, right? So watching something like that, where it just felt so visceral and gross, whether it's, you know, a, a tree wrapping around your ankles or just, you know, something crawling across all the blood in that movie is disgusting. I think like that's probably up there. When I think of practical effects, like when Gigi emailed me, I was like, that's the movie I think of immediately. Uh, especially the first two. The third one, certainly, but it's, you know, I think the scope gets so big when you get to Army of Darkness. And, and honestly, the most recent one had a lot of practical things. I think that's sort of the legacy of those movies is like, how do we do things that feel real and visceral? Uh, and I think that's a nice legacy to have probably for any heart, but it also feels like it maybe challenged other people at the time to, to try these things or say like, these aren't outdated things from the 50s that feel over the top or goofy, you know, like they can still feel real in an R-rated horror movie, definitely for adults. Uh, but yeah, like that's those movies that it should be in, like, that's like the encyclopedic thing where it's like the example. I can't think of a one, you know, other than Evil Dead that maybe just so viscerally mess with my head. Yeah, it's funny. I was I was thinking about this and Ar Army of Darkness, I think is this is going to be controversial because I know in the horror community, people are like, that's like the, you know, the the one that people don't like. But for me, that was the one that I was like, this movie is absolutely incredible. But Benji and I are huge Sam Raimi fans. One time we actually got a chance to, to meet his, his editor, Bob Murawski. And when we were coloring something and he came into the room and Benji and I had been in there for a while and it was filled with our farts and he walked out and we only heard about this later and that we almost didn't get a chance to to meet him because he was so disgusted by the smell. Um, Talk about practical effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> visceral reaction. Um, yeah, exactly. But I don't know. I was there are definitely a bunch of horror movies that use practical effects so well that that I love. I guess, but I, I'll I'll give you an answer. But first, I'm going to say I think my first real introduction to it was actually through television. 
which was through the Tales from the Crypt, the Crypt Keeper, which is, I think, I think he's animatronic and puppeteered, but I just watched that when I was really young at my grandparents' house. And it just was so, I don't know what it was. It was just freaky and weird. And that really, I think, started my love for, for practical effects. And as far as if I had to say one movie, I think the David Cronenberg remake of The Fly just has some just really, really intense, gnarly effects done Kill by me. <laughs> yeah exactly obviously all uh, the voices for you guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think uh, chris wallace was the guy who did the effects for the fly and then he got to direct the second one which has also yeah. great effects and is a much less good movie, Not as good a movie. <laughs> this is probably like such an obvious answer but when i think about great practical effects i immediately go to the john carpenter the thing and just you know the Talk about just ones that you like, because I think one thing that's so amazing about practical, and I think why, you know, you could talk about practical effects with any movie genre. It's not like, you know, all movies are trying to like have things they have to create and you have to make those choices about if you're going to do it on set and capture it for real or if you're going to do it digitally. But I think horror movies especially are trying to frequently at least show you something that you that you can't fathom or that you haven't seen before. And so that's where it really comes, where, you know, that's where it becomes so important because you're like to show someone something they haven't seen before, but in the back of your mind as an audience member, you're like, this is fake. This is, this was done in the computer. It doesn't give you that same feeling. And so I just remember watching the thing and being like every single one of those effects, especially as they relate to like the human body, which the fly totally does too. Yeah. They were just, they're just so cool. And they, I, they always jump out. And then I just want to give an honorable mention to nightmare on Elm street. When Johnny oh. Depp gets killed, the blood on the oh. ceiling <laughs> it's just like it's just do you guys know that shot it's like it's just so simple and it's the kind of thing that more than i feel like anything else would just be done in a heartbeat in cg now and they have to like figure out how to do it they shot it upside down i think or something it's like blood's like and it, it's like it wasn't a real ceiling i think it was like stretched like like latex or something and then they had to like i don't remember but it's a really cool story of how they did it and it's just a it's a it's an awesome and very uncanny effect I, I was going to say the thing as well, specifically the dog in the thing, yeah. because there's something, you know, as a, a dog lover, a dog aficionado, I I found it incredibly disturbing, but also like fascinating to watch this, you know, thing that I am drawn to then become so grotesque. <laughs> but because Benji kind of stole mine, I'm mm. going to go with, and, and I don't know if this falls into horror, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom which is, I would argue, this is controversial. It's my favorite Indiana Jones movie because I only had one Indiana Jones movie growing up. So I'd watch it again and again and again. But you know, when they're taking the heart out of the guy, it is so so grotesque. And so I just just remember being... very disturbed as a as a kid. And and I I think a lot of, you know, that movie and and the Indiana Jones movies in general, they especially the 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 first three, they they the they the practical effects also involved in like I, I I'd like to say like the set design and the props and everything in that world feels so specific to the world of archaeology and like the like I don't know. I just felt very immersed in that world. And I I think seeing, you know, the difference between these skeletons popping out at you, which again, I don't know if that's practical effects or props technically or set design. And then seeing this heart come out of a body, like that was something I had never 
or I had only seen, I think, at the very end of the previous film when their faces are melting off, which I think was a stop motion practical effect. So I do think, Stephen, to answer your question, it is a practical effect with stop motion. But like those moments when they're surrounded by such great production outside of it, they just like pop and really hit home. And they really disturb a six-year-old girl (laughs) who's watching in her living room with her hand on the power button ready to turn it off because she knows she's not allowed to be watching this. <laughs> that was me with a different genre of, of media. Yeah, they, oh. do a lot of pra- <laughs> they do a lot of practical stuff in that, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, like they really don't physical. use a ton of CG. But I just have, I, I also love the, the Kali Ma moment. And whenever I use Siri to call my mother, I think of that movie. <laughs> but the, the dog moment in The Thing I think that is, I think the thing was mostly Rob Botten did like the yeah. effects for that. But then I was reading that, I think Stan Winston actually helped out on specifically that dog puppet, uh, which is so freaky. Um, Who is Stan Winston? I'll ask. Stan Winston, it's a great R. question. R. Is Yeah, is he's a, he's a dead guy. So who cares? Just kidding. <laughs> no, he's like a pioneer in, I guess in like in, puppetry and practical and makeup, makeup effects and yeah, yeah and yeah. animatronics and, i guess too right yeah and he was he like he's he's most famous or became famous from starting with working with uh james cameron so like he did like the terminator effects and then i get why well, I'm, I'm blanking on what else jurassic park is the other biggest right right totally oh yeah and predator he did the monster for yeah. predator which is an incredible practical creature thing. And then he also directed a movie at one point called Pumpkinhead, which was going to be my, is like, it's a, not a great movie, but it's a, it's got some really cool effects in it. Sometimes the, in the eighties, they, they would let like the creature people direct movies. Cause they were like, these are creature focused pictures. They, they creature features, if it. you will. Yeah. Creature. Yeah, exactly. And it turns out they don't really make great. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hard to make a good movie. <laughs> Very separate skills. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting that we all picked either 80s movies or, you know, I think Army of Darkness is like 93 or something, right? I'm trying to remember like when it officially came out and and might be the 80s too. And I'm not going to sit here and find out. I'm just going to talk. But (laughs) it is, you know, it does feel like in that Stan Winston thing, like right when Terminator 2 came out and people were like, oh my God, or even The Abyss, I guess, in the late 80s, but more, more Terminator 2, right? That you could do that kind of stuff with computers. You do sort of see this this practical stuff wither away slowly, right? Because I think like Guillermo del Toro has that really gross, uh, what's that cockroach movie that he did in like 1996 Cro- that he doesn't Cronus? like to talk about? Yeah. No, oh, no, one, no, no, Mi- yeah. no. Mi- is, Mi- is it The Relic? Is it Mimic? It's one of them. I think it's yeah. Mimic because it's like, yeah. but it, like that's like a creature they built and you know, it's like people in costumes and yeah. nastiness. But like I, you start, I do think we start losing like what is the practical you know, version of this once you get to the early 2000s. By the time you get to like Hollow Man, he's just invisible CGI the whole time or, yeah. you know, yeah. different things. And I'm sure there's like an interesting way to track it. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at the Arrow, as one is in Los Angeles. I saw a movie called When Evil Lurks, which we've covered a couple of times on No Film School. But uh, it's a horror movie from Argentina. And its big selling point is that it's all practical effects. And it was something just I, you know, I wasn't able to be in the audience in the 1980s for any of these big movies. <laughs> and frequently I watch horror alone. So I know that I'm safe and also will be the only victim if I'm not. 
But watching that movie, it's it's very fun. The director does an incredible job and it's just disgusting, but it's all practical. There's people oozing and heads that explode and dismemberment and eating someone's eating a brain out of a skull with a spoon. It's all of the things Which that you Which we did want. see in Indiana Jones and the Temple of right. Doom, might I remember. Yeah, exactly. But it, but it does feel, it almost felt revolutionary, even though it's something that's like 50 years old, you know, like these things. And after the movie, lucky enough to hear the director talk, and I think he said he was married to the woman who does the VFX, which I was like, that alone should be a movie. But just, he said, he's like, we just don't have a lot of money. He's like, I couldn't pay for the computer. He's like, and I don't think that people understand that like, if you're creative, which maybe you guys could speak to, like, if you're creative enough, you can do practical effects. Like, it, it, is, it isn't cheap, right? But like, he was like, the other version of this is so expensive or so out of our reach, or just something we don't have budgeted that like, we sat down and we're like, what can we really show? And how can we make it look legit? And also like, Sometimes a very quick shot of somebody oozing out of their cheek is way more effective than like CGI. And he was, and you know, he was like, oh, we got that shot. It's quick because the ooze would pop the fake cheek off, you know, and you're like, oh, well, it's way more disturbing to see it very quickly. But anyway, yeah. It's interesting that you say that because in our experience, there is this weird thing where like, I think especially in the early 90s when CG was new and you're talking about Steven Spielberg, James Cameron using it, 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 it was not an accessible tool. You know, so like if you were actually making an indie horror or anything that was sort of supernatural, like your only chance was to go practical, right? Like there, there, what there, it, it, was, it was out of your reach to do CG. And now it's become so democratized that you can do CG that now really good looking CG, I think still probably is super expensive, but just but cheap bad CG is cheap and like you could teach yourself how to do it, you know, on your computer. And so there's this weird thing where like, actually, like when you're trying to make something and you're struggling for all these reasons, like, all these budgetary concerns are coming your way. There is a lot of encouragement to actually do CG because it's like, well, we don't have to deal with it right now. And it will, will be faster on the day. And we can get something on screen that is what is in the script. But the thing is, that thing is going to look like trash. You know, unless you unless you're either doing it practically or taking the um, immense amount of time and money to do it really well, CG. So anyway, it's just interesting that it used to be like the purview of cheaper films was to do practical, like for that time in the '90s. But but now I don't know. It's more of a it's it's not as cut and dry as that, I guess. I'd love to talk about the balance that you two found in making your film Snatchers, uh, because you do use a combination of practical effects. The monster is a puppet sometimes, but you also used CGI, right? And VFX. So like, let's take the scene, for example, in the Planned Parenthood-like clinic, which is, uh, I think you can watch it online. It's also in the film. And this was actually the proof of concept that you used to sell in making the movie. How did you find the balance between using practical effects and using CGI for an indie production that then went on to become a feature film? And I hope the answer is it was all CGI. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think it's just one thing that I think is worth saying is that Benji and I have no, I mean, there's nothing wrong with CGI. In fact, CGI is incredible. It's just, I think what, what, our problem is when it falls short, which it inevitably does. There, when when something practical falls short, because human beings we've developed a remarkable eye, we can just tell when things aren't actually physically present or not. And that's what's so cool about movies is like you're seeing stuff that you've ne- that you couldn't 
that you can't see anywhere. And so when when CG does it perfectly, you get things like like Jurassic Park, where you're like, wow, there's really a dinosaur there, and it's awesome. And so it's only when it falls short that it becomes less that 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 that, that the distinction actually I think really matters. At least to me, I don't I don't I won't put to, to speak for Benji, but no, that's definitely our philosophy. Yeah. And so as far as it applies to snatchers, yeah, in the in the scene, what what happens is a, a teenager goes in, a pregnant teenager goes into a clinic and then she doesn't know that actually what's inside of her is an alien and she gives birth to an alien that like jumps around the room. And we love animatronics, and so we knew we wanted to do animatronics for some of it. And so when it's still like for close-ups and stuff, we had a guy uh, named Chris Hansen out of Utah build us this little animatronic thing that the way it works is it like shoves its stinger it has a tail and it shoves its stinger into the back of people's necks and can control like the human body like it like its own puppet and so with like close-ups and stuff we would use the animatronic but then it does a lot of leaping around the room and exploding stuff that you know to actually puppeteer that would not really give the effect that we wanted which was that it's moving lightning fast and it has like really precise control of its body. So for, for those effects, it, it actually kind of worked well because we, we didn't even really want to see it that much at the beginning when it's jumping around the room. So it's almost like a blur. And that stuff was done with, with CG. Yeah, just to, to expand on that a little bit. So like Steven's saying, so there's this, right when it comes out, we have this sort of sequence where it's jumping around the room in this blur. And, and like Steven's saying, it worked really well because just in sort of classic monster movie mode, we wanted to create that feeling for the audience where you're going, wait, have I seen the monster yet? A little bit, but I haven't really gotten a full glory shot of it. So that was like sort of form following function or I don't, maybe the other way around. I don't know, but it was, it was nice for us that we were able to like on purpose have these shots where you weren't having like these super clear in focus CG shots, but even still, you know, the, the monsters jumping around the room, breaking all this stuff and like, and, and interacting with this stuff. And so for every shot we had planned out, we had some sort of physical interaction that we did for real. So like, you know, it, like it jumps, it breaks like a jar of condoms. So we had a real, you know, like breakaway glass jar of condoms that Steven just, we whipped the camera to, and then Steven threw a ball at it and shattered the <laughs> jar of condoms. And then, you know, there's a, there's how a many frame. shots did you get of that? How many takes? You know, Stephen was incredibly accurate at, at with this ball. So it was, it, it, we didn't need as many. I remember being worried about that, but it went pretty well. And similarly, like we had another shot where like a girl, like it, you know, there's like a framed picture, like a poster, like a warning, be, be safe poster on the wall. And it also hits that. So we also like Stephen threw a ball at that. I think that took two <laughs> is my memory. But also there's like a scale and, you know, we just like whipped the camera to it and tapped the scale. So like, you know, so you could see like the, the, yeah, just the physical interaction with it. And then like, you know, it breaks through a cabinet, which we also broke. So it's amazing how much of that stuff, just to Steven's point about what the human eye recognizes it's, you know, and so much of CG is that thing of like, if you plan, if you, if you're really careful about the lighting and the physical interaction and you do like, it's not, you can't just do it after the fact or, or it will fall short as Steven's saying, and, and it sucks. But if, but, the, but so we were able to be really, really precise with our planning so that once you put that CG element in, it's like, I remember we would show people the cut of it before there was even a CG element and you could, you could follow what was happening because of all the mm. physical interaction. So that was, that was cool. I have one other anecdote about CG versus practical, but it's not about the alien, which is really quickly. We also had this head explosion in the scene where this thing explodes a person's head. I'll, that's all I'll say in case you want to go watch it and you don't, and you want to be surprised whose head gets exploded. <laughs> uh, um, 
But Stephen and I were hell-bent on doing it practically. And we had all these references of movies we loved, scanners and stuff like that, where people's heads explode for real. And we had a head that was like built a foam core and we were going to like take the actor and like get to the very last frame and then swap it out and then like hit the head and there was blood inside. And it just really, really, really did not work at all. <laughs> yeah, we, I think the, the method that we used, like in scanners, I think they actually like just like would make him just okay. a model of the person's head and then just like put like an explosive inside with like goop and actually like explode a head. But we couldn't do that. I forget why, like we didn't have like the, time or the money to actually make a mold of someone's head. So we had like, like Benji's saying, like this foam core, like dummy head that was like pre-torn with like some goop inside of it. And we were just going to shoot like air and have like the pieces uh, just like fly away. But it just, yeah, it really did not look good when we tried to do it practically. And we had um, a friend of ours who was our CG artist on it. And he was like, please, I can do this perfectly. I can do this head explosion perfectly in CG. And we were so anti at the time. I'll speak for myself, but that's my memory of it is that at least that I was like, we mustn't do the oh, no, CG. I, yeah, no, Use especially because it, yeah. it was like liquid, like blood. We were like, we haven't, like, we, we've just seen so much bad, like just, I mean, I'm sure all of you listeners have seen like action movies where there are like, you know, digital squibs and you're like, oh, that the worst sucks. <laughs> yeah. You're like, uh, why so we, is there cartoon red coming yeah, yeah. out? Exactly. You see, you know, yeah. Give me a good squib. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, give me a good squib. Yeah. 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 But well, uh, and it's funny because yeah, that's where I was most skeptical. Yeah, yes. L- likewise. And, and it's true because I was even going to say, I not even connected to this, just when I was thinking about this podcast, I was going to say how fake, like blood is like the number one, like you got to do that practically because it's so visceral and it's liquid. It just like it looks so bad fake. But he did this head explosion and it was picture perfect, <laughs> incredible. But to Jason's point, it was three frames long i think it maybe is maybe it's like six frames long it's really short and then we cut away to someone's face getting just deluged in real fake blood (laughs) and that worked really well so anyway it was just interesting the perfect marriage it was a perfect marriage and and when you see the blood actually hit someone's face i mean god blood hitting a person that is fake is like maybe the most offensive thing that you can do so we we were proud to not do that And and it really it did marry together perfectly but but i just remember that being scary to, to like leave into the hands of someone else. When you guys are sitting down, coming up with an idea and then writing it, how much leverage are you putting in? Can we do this scene because we know how to do it practically versus, you know, like what's the accomplishable version, especially like, you know, indie wise, you know, if you know what you're writing to a scale or budget, are you clipping scenes? Cause you're like, we don't know how to do this or adjusting as you go. I think we got the advice a long time ago to never edit yourself in the writing. At least when you're coming up with ideas, it's really hard to be creative while also tamping down on your creativity. You can't you kind of can't do both of those things at once. So when when we we started out making sketches and we were doing that in college, and our the way that we wrote would always be like, what what do we want to see? And we would write a sketch and then we'd be and then we would figure out how to do it after the fact, and then we would make adjustments from there, but just because it's so much easier to just like come up with cool ideas. And also one of the most awesome things about movies is just figuring out how to do something in a different way than you initially wanted to do it. So like, I mean, the cliche example, of course, is like the like Jaws, the shark and Jaws, that they had so much more animatronic shark planned. And then they were like, oh, let's just suggest the shark with 
the buoys and you know so that's how you that'll be my bad yeah that's how it's done that was a terrible wow. off-ramp but a good i would say a good on-ramp but a terrible off-ramp I thought it was a good on ramp, and I thought the drive on the freeway was scenic and and I'm really a, lovely. I, yeah, I can corner very well. <laughs> yeah, really well. I, I actually will just add one quick thing, which is that yeah, agreed on all counts, especially because yeah, like part of you you want to write to the ex- extent of your creativity, and then challenge yourself as a filmmaker to achieve. Like that's that's the name of the game. That being said, there is such thing as knowing a great idea that that does both. And and when Stephen had the idea of the like the snatcher that plugs its tail into someone's head and then rests on their head. We we were aware that that was freaking great because you have a person doing everything and this, you know, this animatronic sitting on someone's head, that's not, you know, insert giant monster here and, and figure that out. So that, and, and, but, but, you know, but again, like that was first and foremost, we were like, Oh, that's a cool idea before we were like, Oh, that helps us achieve it. But it was a nice, it was nice that it was both, you know, and so that there there was there was a benefit to that. And then, but then even that, you know, when we when we were shooting it, there there were a bunch of challenges we couldn't possibly have foreseen. That like people's you know, inability to, to turn their neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, yeah how that, much an actor doesn't want to sit with a thing with their neck with their chin pressed against their chest for six hours? Is that so? That was the reality of that particular snatcher. Yeah, like yeah, like Benji was saying the the. The puppet itself was like, you know, fist sized and it sat on the back of someone's head as they pressed their chin to their chest. And then instead of having, instead of having a giant monster, it was like a person walking around that would, that was our monster with like a little tiny head on top of it. But the, the rig that we designed for it in order to just keep the monster sitting on someone's neck, it kind of really restricted people's ability to to turn their neck and it was really really uncomfortable and it took a long time to put on the whole thing was <laughs> it was really it frustrating was, it was really fr- like you don't realize stuff where you go like okay this natural land on their head and then they'll sprint down this hallway and then you go okay the reality of it is you're asking a person to sprint while they're looking at their feet and sec- yeah. it w- amongst a bunch of film equipment and then also like they, we'd get a shot and this natural would be bouncing on top of the person's head oh no you know and all of a sudden you're like well that's not the look we're going for so then I mean, that's what so much filmmaking is. Is like, you know, even the best laid plans, you know, you go like, oh, that doesn't work. And then you have to think quickly on your feet sometimes. I feel like that was my whole experience shooting in Panama. I was like, ah, they're just drinking a couple beers. And then I'm like, every time we have to reset the beer. And why did I yeah. say a bottle of beer when it could have been a can and we didn't have to be resetting? And here go, there was 45 minutes and here I am still waiting. And I'm like, the beer doesn't even matter. Like, you know, all these things that I thought would be shortcuts ended up not being shortcuts. Someday I'll tell you about my iPhone footage situation, but not today. (laughs) I I do want to highlight, I wasn't even thinking about this, but one of my favorite sketches that you guys made, which I cannot for the life of me say the name of because it's in a different language that you guys made up. What is it called? Spruchet Pantornagos. Spruchet Pantornagos, which is a sort of action parody of this like these guys in an action movie but you guys made a different language for it so it's all in gibberish oh Mon 
my Jaffer nephew, Cinch, Mombroncho. Mombroncho. It is just a great example of you guys writing, taking the story to the end of the line, taking the sketch to the end of the line. I don't know if it's a sketch or a short or a mini feature. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you guys have to tell me. And and then figuring out how to do it later. And I think it's just such a clever example of how you can be creative within limitations. There's a ton of different scenes, a ton of different VFX, practical effects, and 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 many different locations, including like a bar in a shady specific neighborhood. And, you Country. know, you guys were clearly worked within very specific what you had access to, but like yeah. everything is fully committed to within, and you have like, I think squibs exploding off of people and, or at least one, somebody, oh, yeah. there's blood. That was a yeah. digital, that, that was a digital squib. Oh. But I think the, you know, the requirements, it, I, I, I would categorize that as a sketch. We made it with our sketch partner, Scott Yakishin under the moniker, the old money boys. But yeah, Spruce Japan Tornagos was great because the, for, for a sketch, you don't like all, all that we were trying to do was to make it funny. And I think a lot of times there are sketch groups that we, we see where the, the lack of quality itself is a joke and that's fine. I don't like it, but that's what, for some people, that's what they, they like. But I think for, for our purposes, Scott could, could do really cheap digital effects. And sometimes we needed just like, you know, a muzzle flash, but like the goal, at least the goal for us was never to, to have people laughing at how cheap the stuff looked. It was kind of just like, we just didn't have the, the resources to make it better. And hopefully it was just f- funny in spite of that stuff, not because of that stuff. But yeah, that's one of our, that's one of our favorite, favorite sketches. Yeah. It was interesting because yeah, like Steven's saying, we were actually trying to like raise the bar for what sketches felt like because at the time we used to like talk about how there was like the sort of like there's a sketch convention especially you have like a couple just like dudes in a sketch that are like hey why don't we just shoot this on my couch and i'll be eating cereal and then you come in and we were like well like like why can't we go to an imaginative world and have something where there there are other ways to be funny than just like two guys having an argument about cereal so like we thought we were, which is we hilarious, of, by the way. Yeah, by the way, no, I'm not not gonna. Yeah, but like, but the, so we were kind of felt like we were raising the bar on what that could be. That being said, the overall bar for it for quality of a sketch is just lower than a movie. So like, I'm proud of how that looks as a sketch that three guys shot. But like, you know, obviously it's not the quality of a movie. But it was. It, we had this our friend Scott's apartment that we shot like everything in, and it was that same thing of like Stephen saying where we would write just whatever we wanted to write. And then we would sit there and go, okay, how can we turn this same apartment into, you know, you name it, a bar. I remember one time we, we did an elevator and all we did was just put wood grain contact paper on a wall and just, mm-hmm. you know, and like you shoot two people standing against that, put some elevator sounds in there. It's one of our best looking sketches. <laughs> you got yourself an elevator, brother. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. So, so yeah, it was, I mean, all that stuff, that was it. I do think that honed our, that muscle, even if when you move over to features, there's like, the the ratio of idea to quality is is greater. It's this it's the same thing. It's like base level realism. It's like what is the limit that people will buy the the, yeah. the the place? And you don't need to go, you don't need to be in an elevator in the Empire State Building. It's just if it looks enough like an elevator, people want people want to believe. I I truly yeah. think the audiences I, want 
You're not clicking on something not to. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I've been on a set for an Amazon show with an elevator and... And and it actually is pretty sparse. Like you just have the little elevator there and the sounds, the only difference is the doors open and close and yep. <laughs> Nicole Kidman is standing there. So we had uh, Nicole Nicole did a couple sketches for us. Yeah, she's a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She really you don't recognize her. It was a early, her early, early days. She's yeah. wearing a mask. Um, yeah. She's yeah. <laughs> practically applied. <laughs> I'd love to hear because so many of our listeners have been working in the short space, working in on sketches. And we really try to encourage people just like getting out there and getting their reps in. But what advice do you have for a listener who is looking to make the leap or maybe on their journey to make their leap into long form feature length films? Oh, advice about making the leap? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a great question. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, answer your question by answering a different question, if I may. Because <laughs> does that sort of get to the root of what you were? I understand um, <laughs> and we have the answers. Well, it, I was just talking to someone who has never made a, a short or a sketch before and she had written like a 20-page thing and was like, so how did, like, was talking about like hiring like a sound person and makeup and hair and like a cinematographer and I was like, you've never made a thing before. Like you, you don't need all that stuff. Like, I think the thing that people like trick themselves into believing is they can't do it because they don't know how to do all of that. And for Benji and myself, what we did was just, I mean, we, to to be honest, we, we had made sketches in college, but then like the, the technology was changing at a pace where like the cameras, I was when it went like full digital versus like digital eight. And we were like, do we even know how to do this anymore? And then we were like, yes, like we just bought a camera and then did it ourselves rather than trying to like hire a DP and hire a sound person, which there, there's no greater killer of creativity than feeling like insecure about what you know and what, which it's fine to not know stuff. Like that's, that's the great thing about making movies with your friends is like, you just figure it out. But I think the, so that's that's just a that's just my advice to the one person who had never made <laughs> anything before. As far as making the transition into making a feature, I think it's um, I think it's the same. It's not the same at all. But I think the the advice that I give people is that they don't need to be something. You don't need to change the way that you do it in order to make a movie. I think a lot of times people are like. I've got to show them that I'm like the director. And so I've got to yell and I've got to wear riding pants and have a little, <laughs> and I have a big a megaphone. To, yeah, exactly. Where it's like, where I think people can kind of think that they need to like fulfill this like role versus just like, if you don't rem- like, if you're having trouble with the shot, you're allowed to be like, you're allowed to say, I don't know. And to ask questions. Yeah. And that's what the team, like you're, hopefully you have a team of people who are collaborators who you feel supported by that don't judge you for saying, I don't know, because the truth is most people don't like, you're, you're always trying to figure it out from shot to shot. And that's, I guess that's, that's, that's what I'd say. That's great. I, I agree with everything Stephen said, perhaps unsurprisingly, but I, I, I'll just, I just want to expand on something he said and kind of connect two dots to something he said, which is, yeah, like when we were making sketches, it, it was such a 
for over a year, we made, we just held ourselves to making a new sketch every two weeks. And I think on our website, we have five sketches on there, which is to say, I don't know, do the math of how many aren't on there. Four. <laughs> I mean, see, it's full circle. <laughs> the point is, is that, that, you know, A, you're getting your reps in, but B, we were never going, and, and it kind of connects to Jason's earlier question, which is we were never going, well, why can't we do this idea? And it was literally, I think, absent maybe like three or four sort of like outliers. It was me and Steven and our friend Scott, and that was it ever. Our joke used to be, if you see three of us on camera, that means someone ran around, pressed record, and ran onto, onto screen. Yeah, we were acting in all of these also, which is not a prerequisite. I'm just saying that we were. And when we were doing that, you were, we had a tiny lighting kit. We had a, a shotgun mic. We did, I don't even know. I don't even think we had a proper boom pole. And we had like no, we a used crappy, like a broom. yeah, we used like a broom that we like rubber banded it to. And we had a crappy tripod that was like not even nice. And then at some point later in it, we built like a, like one of those like DIY dollies that you can like see online kits for. But the point is just that like we were doing all of that stuff, sometimes well, sometimes not well, but you're learning and you're learning like when you get, and then when, you, and then we also edited it all. So then when you start editing it, you go, oh my God, like we didn't get good sound if the mic is pointed this way or, we shouldn't put the lights that close to this guy's face next time or all of these things. And, and part of it, you know, was like, it's, it's challenging and it's hard, but, but there, there are two huge wins to that. One is that every time you want to make a sketch, you can walk out your door and make something and you're not going, well, I couldn't get my DP on the phone, so I can't make something, which is talk about a creativity killer. And like, you know, like that's just only, all that's going to do is stop how much you make. And like, you don't even need to have a lighting kit at all. You can go out with a camera and shoot something yeah, we and, didn't have it at first. We just yeah, we, that's right. That, that came halfway through our sketch career. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was just that and someone then we like sunburned Scott. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, we literally burned Scott. I remember him saying, "It's pretty hot." Am I getting sunburned? I said, "You can't get sunburned without UV rays." And then I burnt the shit out of him. Oh uh, no! Uh, but the point, the point burn so, your friends. Yeah, burn your yeah. friends. But but no, but really, you can, and, and to Stephen's point about like us being like nervous about having the camera, like not knowing how to use the camera, and then getting it. You can look at the first three things we shot and they don't look good. Like we got better and better, obviously, because that's what like practice does. But what it does on the flip side, just to finally get to the, to connecting the point about making a feature is that when you are talking to department heads, we don't, Stephen and I don't know what our cinematographer knows or know what a sound mixer knows, but we have done it a little bit and it just gives you a little bit of familiarity with what it, just what it takes to get an image onto a screen with sound so that you can have something to show. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it makes you as a director empathetic to the whole crew, especially we were actors too. So that's another thing that like, we know what it feels like to be lying on the ground with like drying blood on your face and someone saying, can you do it one more time? And like, we know that Scream feeling at the top of your lungs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, truly like being asked to do that kind of performance again and again, it's, we know like if you've never done it, it's kind of like, all you're doing is pretending what's the big deal, but we know how emotionally exhausting it is. So anyway, when you do make the leap, it is, it's, it, and I think this is Stephen's main point. It's like, you don't have to, if you, if you've done the reps, you don't have to change anything about how you do it. In fact, people will appreciate that you are passionate and that you're, if, if you come, the biggest thing that you could, the biggest favor you can do everyone is come prepared, know your shots, know, know what you're shooting that day and don't, and as long as you're prepared, then you can rely on the crew as much as you want. If you're not prepared, then relying on the crew is going to make them upset with you. But yeah. if you're passionate and prepared, you can't go wrong. Passionate, prepared, practical. 
practical. Mm. <laughs> Pop- popcorn, popcorn, always good. Always good to have popcorn. People all Pe- everywhere. People are in movies a lot of times. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for for joining us and and for giving us this advice and for geeking out with us. I, I think pleasure. this is a big Sam Raimi club here. <laughs> and and so next time Sam Raimi has a movie coming out, we'll have you guys back on to talk about it. Oh my and, gosh. And then where can people follow your work or find your work? Well, we're we're very we have a very light presence on social media, but I have an Instagram, Steven Cedars, and you can see a single photo that is a picture of Benji and me. But but we always like to to hear about people who have watched Snatchers. So if you've watched Snatchers, feel free to reach out. Yeah, you can. And Snatchers is on all of the, it's not on any like streaming services, but it's on all of the, you know, you can rent it on Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, YouTube, but however you get your, your movies, it's like two ninety nine. and guys, a percentage of that goes to me and Steven. So do rent it. Yeah. And I guess that's about it. If you want to see some of our sketches, they're on climbingcedars.com. So. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so this much. This was so fun, guys. Yeah. It was an honor. Here. 